Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world and welcome to the first ever reverse deep dive. Um, I'm Chloe. I'm going to be the interviewer today and we're going to ask Eyal a bunch of questions about justice and how he feels about it. Welcome Eyal to your own podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's <laughs> fun to change places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, well, um, don't know what to say about myself. I'm a person. I'm a curious person. And what I'm going to talk today about is justice. Justice is something that initially in my childhood was close to my heart inexplicitly. And then later on in life kind of became... more and more explicit where I started really thinking about the concept, about um, the way it intersects with other concepts and the way that it fits in with a whole framework of living well. Hmm. I have already so many questions. Um, can I start with a difficult one? Yes, I would love that. Yeah, okay. How would you define justice? Oh, um, yeah, so it's just as, as a person who does dialectic, it like goes against the grain a little bit to blurt out the, the conclusion at the beginning because I like to go step by step. Um, I was working on a book that was going to really define justice. So it's not that I'm going to withhold um, the definition. Um, ultimately, justice is... living well in society and that's that may sound very obscure and unrelated to how we usually think of justice hmm. do you remember what was your first ever encounter with justice as a notion as you were growing up i think i was a very opinionated boy um so intellectually I was very developed for my age, but of course I still had tantrums and, and stuff like any normal boy. So there was a mismatch there. And I think that the first incidents where I kind of, I wasn't thinking about justice per se as a word, but um, I was feeling that in terms of my intellect, I was an equal to even to adults. I'm talking about even a young age. So that's probably not true on my part, the thinking. But I felt like I should get more respect from adults even um, for my ability to, to discuss things with them. But I wasn't because I was a boy and I was still, I could get rowdy or rude um, or just awkward in the general sense. Just I wasn't getting that. treatment that I longed for, I guess. And so that caused tensions. And then, so I would have a lot of incidents where I would really make the life of my parents and other adults hard, kind of, by being very, very um, stubborn and just wanting to show them, to prove them that I'm not inferior or that I deserve something else than what I was deserving. Um, so I'll just share one incident like that. I went to school at I think like the fifth grade and there was the school library and at the door of the library all students were required to take off their shoes because there was mud outside, it was winter time, but the teachers did not have to take off their shoes. And I just got into my head this idea 
that this is not fair, um, that if teachers don't take it off and they bring mud into the thing, then what separates teachers from students really except their age and that we should be allowed to go in the library with shoes on. So I went and I kind of went to my teacher probably. I wanted, I probably made her want to kill herself with my stubbornness. Then I went to the principal's office and kind of started this impromptu um, like protest movement, got more students on my side, you know, and, went, and the day ended when at fifth grade, they just sent me home. They didn't know what to do with me, right? Um, so that's one such thing. And I'm not saying I was in the right there, but that was the attitude of like, I was perceiving some sort of a thing that wasn't fair or was not just, and like really went for it, really uh, dug in my heels and, and wouldn't budge, so. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's such a sweet story. <laughs> um, what do you think is the difference between getting justice and getting respect? Uh, they, they're definitely touching. It's interesting because honestly, I haven't done uh, like explicit thinking about the, about the connection of justice and respect. I think that respect is definitely treating somebody as, as equal, or if not as equal in every sense, then um, giving them the credit that they do have dignity that needs to be addressed and, and deserves to be addressed and protected, right? That's what mm -hmm. I meant to say. Um, so that's respect. Um, justice, I guess, connects with that because justice eventually, and if you look at all the, at all the things that it's not, which I'm probably going to go through later, um, if you look at all the things that it's not, you arrive at the conclusion that it is about benefiting anyone and everyone within the bounds of reason. So, and I think that you should respect everyone um, within the bounds of, of reason, unless a person has really kind of shown an, an affinity for, for hurting people or you specifically. Yeah, I'm trying to think whether you can get one without the other and how that looks like. It feels that you can get um, justice without getting respect, uh, but I, I'm not sure you can get respect without getting justice as a part of it. And I wonder how much of it is for your eyes only versus how much of it has to be a public thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so just behavior definitely depends on the, on the concept of justice within the person who's applying um, the understanding. I do think that you could respect someone but not be um, just in, in your dealings with them if only you, do, you don't understand what, what it means to benefit them because justice is about understanding living well and it's about promoting well-being in others. So if you don't understand what would be conducive to their well-being, you're going to miss the target and end up doing them harm, even though you, you could be respectful to them. Um, the other way around, I think, is where you can, where you can be just without respecting someone. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I don't know if you'll have all the respect. You might not have as much respect for somebody who's, yeah, that, that's a good, that's an interesting one. I, I think that you could be feeling not so much respectful towards some people, but then still, you know, it's your duty to be, to be just to them. Um, so maybe you're not as respectful, but you do have compassion. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something in justice that's more about um, compliance to rules, whether they're like explicit written rules or just like, yeah, just implicit rules. 
and you can you can follow the rules and abiding by them but still in a disrespectful way yeah although wow yeah well that was the perfect segue into (laughs) the main (laughs) the main thesis that i lay out um you know usually speaking about it is that justice is exactly not using a set of rules. Um, I think that our society and ancient societies have trusted rules to, to kind of bring order into society. And it's true, mm-hmm. it's true, but um, they do bring a sort of order, but it's a seeming order. It's order that has to be um, maintained. And, and this maintenance is, is very pricey and is also not sustainable. So eventually um, there are coups. What do I mean? So first of all, there's this beautiful um, quote by Henry Miller, everything that has to be maintained by force is doomed. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's definitely a theme in my thinking about justice. And it seems that since human prehistory, to do justice was something along the lines of respect actually respect your elders your ancestors and do as your ancestors did so the thinking there i think is that not a lot has changed i'm not talking about but i'm talking pre-industrial revolution and all that so people used to to be born and die in the same world that you know nothing changed basically so it makes sense to just do as your parents did and do as their parents did and so on and so on And that's following a convention, right? An unwritten convention. And the thing is with conventions or any sort of code, whether it's unwritten or written, the thing with the code is that there are going to be spots in your life where you follow the code and you do harm, which is not your intent. You want to do well and good in life. So you follow the code, for example, in Judaism, you have those shall not kill, you, and in Christianity, you follow the rule, but at some point it's just not fitting. You know, there is the one case where you see a person that you, you better kill before he kills, you know, thousands of people. So at first, I think it was this unwritten rules. Then it kind of progressed into religion, which is starting to put them into writing the rules. So you have more code of law. Mm-hmm. And eventually in secular societies you have law written law which is not that different from religion so the word in arabic for religion is din and the word and a word not the not the one we use all the time but a word for law in hebrew is din So there's a linguistic connection and there's also a a very straightforward connection of here is a rule book. You play by it. It means that you're being just. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I have to enumerate the instances where people were abiding by the law or not quote unquote, they were abiding by the law, but actually making a lot of money at the expense of others, you know? So they did not legally do something that's immoral, but we all know that they did. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I I like to to show people, that there lies the problem with our conception of justice. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like it, but I, I wonder where we go behind it. Uh, not behind, like beyond it. Um, and also I'm still thinking about that that quote about everything that has to be like enforced by force is yeah, doomed. Maintained, maintained by force is doomed. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, there are so many varying degrees of force. Like peer pressure is force. Yep. It's a type of force, you know? Um, And is there anything that isn't maintained by some sort of force? Um, What does that even look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So my 
obviously my vision of a world of a truly just world is a world full of wise people. Is it going to happen tomorrow or the next day? Definitely not. Um, so this is a very good question. To kind of give a more, um, to give an example from, from the times of old in, in a dialogue by Plato, the lackeys, um, Socrates gives this, he appeals to the people speaking to him and he says, well, aren't you Democrats? Like you're trying, they're trying to find a good teacher for, for their boys. And he's like, are you going to go with the majority vote here? We are five. If we have a majority among us, we're just going to go with what five idiots are saying. Basically, he's not saying idiots, but um, people without education on the matter say. Or if we had an educator here, wouldn't we go with his opinion? Because he's mm -hmm. actually skilled at this. And I said, well, of course, we would go with the expert, right? Um, so Socrates doesn't give it away that he's actually an expert. In fact, he's completely denying that he is one. But he, he, he makes a nice move. Then he shows that in a democracy, actually, it's about people controlling their own destiny. Let's say a city in ancient Greece. But in fact, even in democracy, you have this weak spot of the whole system where somebody using rhetoric could persuade a majority of the people not to vote according to their own reasoning, but to vote according to what this one man who convinced them of his idea um, said. So mm -hmm. is that democracy now that there's a, a, a populist leading a mob, is that still democracy? Or is it um, soft dictatorship? It just has the gift of persuading people. And, and those are hard questions. So democracy as it is, is not something that doesn't have to be maintained by force, even because, even if it's only because democracies have to defend themselves against people doing exactly that. Mm -hmm. Populists who are going to eventually topple democracy. Um, now, what is a system that doesn't use force? If there was a system of truly wise people who understand the truth about the good and well-being and what's good for people, what it means to live well, if they agreed among themselves on what, is, on what that is, um, they would be truly able even to let one of them do the job. Um, but they would recognize immediately if he's, not, if he's not acting according to the guiding light, which is well-being for everyone. Okay, so it would be easy to, to dethrone him or usurp him. So that's what I'm imagining when I talk about a system that's not maintained by force is when power is decentralized because knowledge is, com is perfectly distributed and understanding is perfectly distributed, actually, not just knowledge. Um, yeah, how does that sound to you? Um, interesting and undoable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whether it's feasible, that's a question. Again, it's, it's not about the here and now. It's, it's not about that. But um, in my thinking, I'd like to start a conversation about yeah. it. Um, I'd like people to think hard about the fact that every time something really shitty happens, some crisis comes about, whether it's financial, whether it's a blatant violation of human rights because of racism or any sort of reason, every time that something like that happens and enrages us justifiably, we go out to the streets and the first word to be put on banners is justice for X, justice for everyone, justice for all. And this justice thing that is so prevalent in times of crisis, um, inevitably always just gets drowned behind new, basically scandals. Everything is recurring. Nothing changes on a, uh, at the foundation. And we're mm -hmm. just doomed to, to repeat this thing 
And that's what got me thinking about justice more explicitly in recent years, is that I wanted to see uh, a solution to this problem. How do we get out of the cycle of governments falling and being replaced? Um, the governments top, toppled by people who have had enough, but then those people either happily enthroned or subjugated by new dictators and, and evil forces and the whole cycle kind of just restarts. So I'm thinking about evolution versus revolution. That's what's driving me thinking about justice, I think. Mm -hmm. What do you think that the future of justice looks like? Well, if we, if we keep going the normal way, then nothing. The same, the same cycles will be perpetuated. Um, but there's that. That kind of makes it sound like I'm all about the big picture. But justice is really just as important for our individual lives, for understanding. If you understand justice well enough, you are in a much better position to understand um, how to behave, how to be a friend. Who, who your mm -hmm. friends are, how to um, do transactions with people, um, how to deal with people. But it's important to remember that justice is, a, is an aspect, is, is but an aspect, I should say. It's but an aspect of doing well, which is really like at the top. Uh, but justice is a very visible aspect of doing well, of living well, because it deals with society. It's not something mm -hmm. that stays internally within a person that he can hide or she can hide. Um, people act and, and do transaction and interact with other people. So their conception of justice will always be out there. Mm -hmm. Be evident. Yeah. How do you see justice evolving? Like what, what could it become? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's important for each and every one of us to, to, to really ponder on the, the meanings of, of words and then realize that they are just words, they're denoting concepts, then think about the concepts, so basically do dialectic, um, realize that the concepts we, are, we grow up with that are just haphazardly put together in our minds according to whatever instances of things we saw are very much ill-formed and use reason to give ourselves a sound mind, a sound matrix of concepts that sit well with one another and create a framework that is harmonious. So that's the first step to actually achieve an understanding of justice in one's mind. And the thing is, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. I can talk to you about it. I can ask you the right questions to kind of, if, if I happen to be an expert on a subject, I can ask you the right questions because I not only know the right way, I know all the, the ways that are not right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I can ask questions, but eventually each one of us has to do the science themselves in their own mind. And that's the first step. If you do that, you might get to think about justice, about everything I just said, but more in depth, cover it from more angles about, you know, what the problem with justice as we know it, what the problems are, why it doesn't work, why the hell not even, what does it mean, for example, to catch somebody who's murdered somebody and, um, what does it mean to do justice with somebody who died in an unjust way? What does it mean? Like I could think of bringing him back to life, but since that's out of the question, what does it mean to, to do justice um, for somebody? What does it mean to serve justice to a killer? What does it mean? How could you ever, you know, for, for killing somebody, get somebody, even if he's dead, how is that making things better? Just notice all these problems with justice in our world and the fact that no, um, the death penalty doesn't prevent murders um, and a bunch of other things like that. And from these kinks, 
in, in reason, like really in, in logic, from these kinks, start to figure it out and kind of straighten out the, the thought so it doesn't clash with anything. Come to a new realization about what justice is that doesn't clash with, with everyone being well at the same time, that doesn't clash with you being uh, a moral person, that doesn't clash with you you know, that doesn't require you to sacrifice something to be just, because that also doesn't make sense. And eventually, a good conception of justice emerges. And that is something which we all ought to do. That's fantastic, because, yeah, all of that was fantastic. And I don't think I've told you, but I'm reading at the moment... Uh, man in Jerusalem, the, when Anna Arendt was sent by, I think, the New Yorker to cover um, the trial. Oh, okay. Nice. So I, I haven't read it. It's, yeah, you, <laughs> you're going to like that, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I know, I know the banality of evil that's also kind of around like the whole um, Nazi um, operation. Yeah, what, what struck you in that, in that book? What, what are you taking away from it when it comes to justice? I don't know if I can tell more much because I'm still not far into the book. Um, one thing that she highlights a lot is the difference between... I think she phrases it as the difference between judge, judging this one specific person for their specific and proven actions versus um, judging the whole enterprise and this, the symbol, like what this person represents. Separating um, these? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, well, I wasn't there and I haven't written any other accounts of the trial. I haven't read any other accounts of the trial, um, but she's... The, like the, the way she's presenting it is that um, it was such a an important event and heavily um, like heavily broadcast event, like a lot of focus yeah. was around it. Mm -hmm. um, that there was a like yeah, she she's saying that basically there was a tendency to see it more as the trial of. Nazism, rather than as a trial of this right. one individual. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it was definitely a a, a circus around the whole thing, uh, like a media circus. Of course, this is as extreme a case as you can imagine, right? Taking in this person. I mean, apart from actually putting Hitler to trial, he was one of the top killers um, of Jews in the Holocaust. And yeah, that's so true. I mean, it was it was a trial for Nazism. It dealt basically when he said I was just I was just executing orders, right? Uh, it was basically just the whole argument for for all the Nazi officers, basically. So yeah, yeah I can see that, and I can definitely sympathize with the people watching at home. You know, people who only not even. 16 years before, I think it was 16 years after the war. Um, for those listening, um, yeah, um, Eichmann was um, the, the commander, I think, of all of Auschwitz, I think. I hope I'm getting it right. And he was caught by the Israeli Mossad in Argentina after he had fled there to live under a, a pseudonym and start a new mm -hmm. life. He was abducted mm -hmm. into Israel. And, and tried here and executed. It's the only execution in, in Israel's history. And yeah, it's really interesting to look at a case like that because it's, it's so clear why everybody was enraged enough to kill him and like who could blame them, right? But still, as, as clear as it is to us that he should have been killed for what he did, um, that doesn't mean that it's an instance of of justice, per se. Maybe we should argue that revenge is something that's not taboo 
after all. Maybe we should argue that um, there is merit in killing people who have been evil enough. Maybe that, but I don't think that's necessarily a just act. And that's because it was going by some rule book. Although in that case, um, I guess it was a very special case. Uh, but justice is not something that can be enacted by states or institutions. Justice is about dealings between individuals. Uh, that is my opinion. Hmm. So does that mean that the state cannot act in favor of the well-being of all? Yeah, here, here's, the, here's the thing. If Israel was a democracy, so, so the laws um, were probably inherited from Great Britain, who ruled here until 1948. Um, it's a democracy, and then I highlighted the problem with democracy before. Um, who actually writes down the laws? Is it actually the people of Israel? No, it's people who have been chosen to do that. Are these people perfectly wise? No, they are more likely to be good um, rhetoricians, able to persuade people to vote for them in order for them to be in a position of power to write laws. And so the state now sues a person and goes by the law book and just the very act of consulting a law, a code of law is kind of mm -hmm. missing the point. Because mm -hmm. what exactly, how, how was the well-being of people promoted when, when Eichmann was executed? I'm, exactly. not, I'm not completely sure. <laughs> yeah. Can you give me an example of, an example of, justice being exerted so uh, so that's the thing when i say justice is is living well in society and by that i mean it's 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 no it's understanding how to live well in society which means that you realize that it's you don't want certain rights of yours to be infringed upon you don't want to be harmed or violated. And you understand that others are not to be harmed or, or violated. And it's more than that. Um, there's a parable in the, in the New Testament about the Good Samaritan. Most people know it, but I'll give it more context because most people don't understand what a Samaritan, who a Samaritan is. Samaritans are a kind of Jews, but they don't call themselves Jews. Um, that were not exiled when the rest of the Jewish people were exiled in 800 BC mm -hmm. and to, to Assyria. So these Jews stayed and they kind of diverged from, from Judaism to the point where they are similar but, but distinct and they call themselves Samaritans. Now, there were a lot of these Samaritans at the time of Jesus. There were more Samaritans than Jews in what is today Israel and Palestine um, in, the, in Eretz Israel. There were more Samaritans than Jews and they did not like each other, probably because of the, you know, the narcissism of small details. So mm -hmm. on, on this account, so there is animosity between Jews and Samaritans. This has to be understood. Now, Jesus is encountering a lawyer in Jericho, in the city of Jericho. And this lawyer, because he's a lawyer, which is interesting, is asking Jesus, what do you mean, like, be kind to other people? What, what do you mean? Basically, he's asking him, what is justice, in other words? Like, um, and Jesus, instead of telling him like that, he gives him a parable. A Jewish person is going down from the temple in Jerusalem down to Jericho, where we are. Okay? He goes down the, the, next to the road, and he's attacked by bandits. They injure him and they steal everything he has, you know. He has nothing but maybe some clothes to his body. Then um, a, priest, a priest, a Jewish priest comes along and the man is asking for help. And the priest, well, 
that's not for him to deal with just a lay person who looks like a, a beggar. You know, it's not dignified for him to deal with such persons. So he ignores the person. And then um, another person moves there who's a, who's a Jew and also uh, refuses to help. And then the, thir the third person who meets him is a Samaritan, right? So to remind you, he's supposed to be his enemy, basically. But this Samaritan takes the man, decides to uh, put him on, on his donkey, sends him all the way to Jericho with some help after he had helped him, sends him to Jericho on his donkey, tells him, go to this and that inn, tell the innkeeper that I sent you, that I will pay for your stay there. And, you know, when you are well again, go on your way, you know. And that's the good Samaritan. So it's not just a person who, who does uh, well. It, it's an enemy, a, a supposed enemy that actually goes way beyond the call of duty to help. And this mm -hmm. parable is amazing for another reason. And that is for the reason that it shows clearly that being just is not about not violating other people's rights or well-being. It's about proactively seeking how to help people in the world. And that's the main thing with justice. That's how you create a good society. It's not just by everyone going into the rooms and not harming anybody directly, let's say. Because indirectly, we all know what is going on in sweatshops in China. It's about proactively making this world a better place and the place where we live in a better place and our friends better people who enjoy well-being so to go back to your question what is an instance of doing justice this is an instance of doing of doing justice being a samaritan who helps a jew on his way but in fact in life there is no instance there is no do or not do because that would put us in a situation where there's a, a code of conduct and as we said you have to understand reality around you. You have to understand what well-being is to finally, in context, make the good decision. And this good decision could be, in theory, to kill somebody or to lie if you're an educator trying to check if your student knows the material. You might want to lie every once in a while just to see if he's aware, not to send him away with bad ideas, be honest about it at the beginning of the lesson. Tell him, well, I might lie here and there to, to try and catch you. That's part of good education, you know? Mm -hmm. So when somebody like um, Augustinus, who is like this Christian saint, says that any lie is a terrible thing, well, he's not getting it. And then, you know, of course you think, he's actually in his writing, he gives an example. He's writing like, well, you probably think that if, um, if an innocent person is hiding and I know somebody's after him to kill him and this person is asking me uh, where the innocent person is, you, you probably think that um, I'm going to lie to him because that's going to save somebody's life. And then Augustine is the saint, yeah? He's saying, no, I'm going to tell him where that person is. Because lying is just so bad, you know, that it's better for me to cause this person's death. And I'm going to find, I'm going to be consoled by the fact that this person is now a martyr who's probably pretty happy in heaven. So just so you understand how deranged it is to name an action immoral. And we want to do the complete opposite, not call any action immoral. But in context, you and sometimes only you know whether you have acted justly or unjustly. Mm -hmm. Sorry for rambling. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that, was, that was great, but I was wondering who hurt him so, <laughs> so that the lie wouldn't be, so that lying would be the, the ultimate sin, the ultimate immoral action. Yeah, well, he was um, lying was just generally considered to be a bad thing in, in early Christianity. I think he's from the fourth century, if I'm not mistaken, or is he more medieval? 
fourth or fourteenth, <laughs> not sure. Um, so it was just um, a kind of uh, a known thing that lying is is really bad. But he was a scholar and a leading figure in the church who wrote things, and he tended to be. There is a tendency for religions and other things for ev for people who are following the the tradition. This came up with my conversation with uh, with Nat on the podcast. Um, there's a tendency of people who are keeping with tradition to actually go beyond what tradition says to prove that they are more than a hundred percent with tradition. So that's that's causing ex extremism when you try to prove so hard that you're a good Christian, that you're going to come up with this elaborate um, explanation why this initially probably moderate rule of thumb kind of thing, because as a rule of thumb, don't lie, is sound. I, I don't have an argue with that. Like as a general rule in life, uh, don't be a, a liar. Okay. Of course, but there are, there are degrees of immoral things. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and like I said, there are instances in life where, where you should lie, where lying is, is good, perfectly good, the, the right thing to do. Um, so through the generations, these like rules of thumb becomes draconian laws because every time there's another Augustinus who wants to prove himself to be uh, an adhere adhering, you know, very um, obedient person. So it just gets more and more extreme and, and further and further from the original meaning, which was to raise children to be decent people. <laughs> so isn't that just bigotry? Yeah. <laughs> When did you, when did you realize that justice was something important to you? Like not as a kid, but as an adult. When did you start seeing it as something that you want to learn more about or work with? I think it's it's that innate feeling that I had as a child that I always wanted to be um, to see less inequality in the world in general and and see um, poor people um, or people who are not privileged getting what what they need to subsist themselves because there's absolutely no reason especially in modern times where there's no shortage of food the only shortage we have is of goodwill and understanding of justice so it's it's that innate feeling that i have which i can't really trace back intellectually because it was before I developed an intellect. And then as an adult, really starting to think about well-being, seeing that justice is one aspect of it, uh, one main aspect in Greek philosophy along, uh, along with courage, um, wisdom, and temperance. And then really looking at it, then being exposed to uh, a great analysis of, of the Republic, which is a dialogue by Plato, um, also known as On Justice. So uh, an alternate title for the dialogue was On Justice because it's discussed extensively there, but not in straightforward means. So it's a mm -hmm. dialectical exercise meant to provoke the readers into thinking about justice and understanding Plato's own view about justice. His, mm -hmm. view, his view is not written straightforwardly. Um, which makes it confusing, but, but it's, it's that way for a good reason. Because Plato wanted us to come up with the answers, each and every one of us, and not just adopt his thinking, which is dogmatic and not conducive to, to true understanding. Um, so from these two things, I think it just became, became something that I, I got really interested in. And then... I started writing a book about it after the George Floyd case because it just struck me that once again there's this horrible, horrible happening and what we see is, gen is justice going on the banners, um, justice for people, 
justice for blacks, justice for George Floyd. And I just knew that not much is going to happen. And, and, just, and I saw that alongside these calls for justice, like very obviously there were criminals taking advantage of the fact that major cities were holding vigils and, and peaceful protests. And of course, in, in that gave them room to, to operate to criminals, right? And commit injustices while there is a wide call for justice. So I was intrigued by that and kind of felt that I needed to go write a book. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, still not there in terms of being a writer. So it's kind of on hiatus, but at least I get to, to vent out some of these thoughts on here. <laughs> Do you, do you see yourself, I don't know, I just thought about it at the beginning of our recording, but would you see yourself creating a, a course about this? Um, justice is not, even though the subject is justice today, as I mentioned like several times, it's, it's connected with well-being, it's connected with other virtues, and it's connected with yet other concepts and with the general art of, of dialectic and developing a sound um, model of the world in our minds that's logically consistent, that doesn't cause us to say one thing and do another or to say two things that eventually contradict themselves. So dialectic is literally meaning the, the um, art of conversation. So what does that mean? It's not about making somebody feel good in conversation. It has its history in the fact that in ancient Greece, people realized, and probably Socrates was probably the first, but he wasn't calling himself a dialectician. People recognize that if you talk for long enough, you're going to find inconsistencies with your, within your own speech or within two people, what they decide on. Mm -hmm. And that if you worked out what the problems were, what the inconsistencies were, you were actually able to arrive at the truth, at something that doesn't, is not, is logically consistent and therefore a better model of the world because there is logic in the world. And so would I do a course on justice specifically, not without tying it with other things. So that's why I'm, I'm doing dialectic. I'm offering dialectic sessions um, with people. I think that is necessary um, and of course, eventually dialectic is not something that has to be done in conversation. Like if I'm a dialectician and I'm approaching somebody and they want to do dialectic, it's going to be in that context of a dialectic lesson. Let's say it's going to look something like I'm the master and, and you're the apprentice, but with the view of giving you all the tools to do dialectic in your own mind, to form your own thing. So it's not... It's the opposite of guruship, right? Which mm -hmm. is basically saying, follow me for the rest of your lives. I'm going to feed you the right ideas. Yeah. Guruship and religion and politicians too. It's not about feeding the right um, dogmas, but giving somebody all the tools they have to think logically for themselves, to think critically for themselves to have a base of knowledge in their mind, which they can then apply in life to live well um, and mm -hmm. with good flow. Um, so that's what I'm doing. That's, that's the closest to, to giving a course on this. That's fantastic. Do you already have an offer up where people can book sessions with you? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's on my website where the podcast can be found, I guess. So um, it's on the same place. So that will be on there for sure. Um, yeah, this is definitely something I'm extremely passionate about. And just as with this, this podcast, you know, my aim is to, to have conversations here that benefit me because I can learn from the people who come on here. Um, hopefully it can benefit my guests if I'm able to even ask one good question that, that made them think about something which they've already dedicated thought to. Um, that's mission accomplished. And obviously, of course, to the listeners who might get some interesting ideas to, to ponder on and hopefully also 
chip in the con- to the conversation and get in touch and develop ideas further. Um, I don't have any other question coming to mind right now, but is there something that you want to add? Let's see. There's always something I want to add. <laughs> um, no, this has been lovely. And I really appreciate you coming up with the idea of doing a, a reverse podcast. <laughs> Maybe recognizing the fact that, yeah, I like to be both asking questions and answering them sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I really thank you for that. And just, I, I guess I would love to hear how... Some of what I talked about today is like striking you if it's crazy, if it's um, overall understandable at all. Um, I don't know how, how does it reflect from you? I don't think it's crazy and I do think it's understandable. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I've had very similar thoughts, maybe not expressed with the exact same words. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it, it all makes sense. To me, it's very, to me, it's more something that I think of as being detached from reality. I haven't like made the effort to make so many links with um, um, the practicalities of life. Um, but even as a as a more detached group of notions, I think it's still interesting to talk about. And it was a very welcome conversation in this period of my life that's very centered around concrete practical things. So getting getting out of this a little bit and thinking about other things was really lovely. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. And yeah, there's definitely a need for us to, to think of things and use our mind and reason to understand reality, but then also to apply our understanding. That's very important because we don't want to be Alan Watts. We don't want to be a machine for generating uh, maybe sentences as true as they can be about the self and about the nature of reality, but then end up being alcoholics. So... We want to actually, we want to actually act out on our understanding. And yeah, thanks again, Plo. This has been um, much fun. I'm glad. Yeah, thank you. Bye bye. Bye.